there's a significant business case for virtual reality around learning and development. And I think ultimately, Ira, when we look back at this technology, that will be the predominant use case for it. Because what virtual reality provides that, for example, Zoom doesn't, Zoom is a two-dimensional communication uh -huh. medium. So I can talk, you can talk, we both can't talk at the same time or it becomes really disruptive. And a third party certainly can't contribute because it's a two-dimensional mechanism. One person talks, everybody else listens. With virtual reality, you can have more synchronous communication happen in parallel. So what I mean by that is when you go to an event with four or five people in VR, it feels like going to an actual event. You can hear the murmur of a conversation and you can choose to engage in it or not and have another conversation with somebody else side by side. You can explore a virtual space, a digital space, as you would walk around the showroom floor of a trade show. So you have that level of immersion where you're in the environment, you're completely immersed. There is no notifications from your phone. There is no someone tapping you on the shoulder. You're fully in an environment with other people who are also fully in that environment. And you're able to exchange information in a way that, again, lends itself to more intimacy. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, hello everyone. Welcome Googleization Nation. Welcome back to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. First show of the second half of 2021. A far cry from where we were last year. Really appreciate everybody being here. Uh, we've got a great lineup. We have two great guests today. First is going to be Matt Burns from uh, Bento HR. Matt's been in the business for about 20 years or so. We're going to be talking about, again, talking about the labor shortage. What needs to change? What's the post-pandemic world going to look like? And Matt's, I heard Matt uh, speak a few weeks ago about vi virtual reality, augmented reality. We had a show maybe two months ago, three months ago on that as well. But Matt's got uh, a really, really positive, interesting perspective. And as the labor, as our economy improves, recruitment is getting harder and harder. Quit rates are up. Reskill. We talked quite a bit about reskilling and upskilling. All this you know, can AR and VR, augmented reality, virtual reality be a solution for this? So we're going to be talking about that. He also has, uh, Matt also has an interesting perspective on the hybrid workplace. And that uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And he's also involved with Hacking HR, Hacking HR Community, which we had Enrico, Enrique uh, Rubio. He was one of our first guests, hard to believe, almost three years ago. And it's that's just become a huge global community. And we'll, we'll talk about that. So we got a lot to talk about in the first 25 minutes. And then our second guest today is going to be Dick Finnegan. Dick has written one of the most popular books in Sherm called The Stay Interview. Stay Interview, uh, certainly with quit rates at an all-time high that has been much more important. Employee retention, how to reduce turnover. Dick identifies himself as a turnover expert. So we're going to have a short interview.
interview with him. And then Dick's going to join us in a few weeks again for a longer conversation about this, because it's certainly how do we reduce the quit rate? How do you improve employee retention, which means employee improving employee engagement? How do you do all that? So again, great show. A couple other things. going to be a guest uh, next week on Tune In Tuesdays. That's Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Anybody? Now, I believe you need to have it be a Sherm men- member. So if you are a Sherm member, you'll be able to tune in on their website to Tune In Tuesdays. And Dick and I will be uh, their guests on the on the show prior to Sherm Annual and Sherm Talent, which, which where I will be speaking at both. Dick is going to be speaking at Sherm Annual. And we'll talk a little bit but more about that. There you go. There's the slide. So you can mark that in your calendar, especially if you're a Sherm member, you'll be able to have access to that. And also, if you go up to a successperformancesolutions.com, that's my website. And we'll also have that in the notes for the show notes for Geek Skeezers and Googleization. There's a couple new webinars we just launched. One is on recruitment marketing. Another is on adaptability. And the third will be a new rollout of our elite assessment system that's being launched in the next few weeks and a lot of upgrades. A lot of people are already been using it. A lot of our clients already use that for pre-employment hiring. And uh, there is a complete new launch, which will be mobile ready and new reporting. And we'll go into more details and there'll be an introductory webinar on that as well with some promotions. But without further ado, oh, one last thing. I want to certainly thank our sponsors in GOMU and Success Performance Solutions. And you'll hear a little bit more from them in at the break in just a few minutes. Uh, But uh, let's bring on Matt Burns, our first guest. There you go, Matt. So, How are you? I'm doing really well. Crazy, crazy busy, as I sure you are. Every aspect of HR, recruitment, anything that has to do with companies hiring people seems to be in, I won't say chaos, but in a, in a paradigm shift, in a shift. And HR has been fairly conservative, fairly slow to react to a lot of things, and that's caught up to them. So a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of things are changing. So I don't even know where to start with you. We, there's so many cool topics that we can do. Initially, we talked about virtual reality, augmented reality. We want to talk about that. And then, you, you again, you've got an interesting perspective on hybrid work. You also had some huge involvement with the hacking HR community. So why don't we just, why don't we start with what your company is? Why don't we start with a brief intro on Bento HR, and then we'll move into uh, some of the other topics. Yeah, I'm happy to. And thanks for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation. We're at a time now, as you mentioned, that's an inflection point. And I think because of that, we need to find ways to share knowledge more freely. And this is a great platform to do that. Any opportunity to share knowledge with my business executive colleagues is a great opportunity. We can address all the topics you mentioned, I think, by way of both the conversation and in in the introduction, because they're all complementary. I spent 20 years in the corporate world. 15 of those were in HR. The last five is an HR executive. And by happenstance, I found myself leading large digital transformation projects. So I had experience doing a lot of this work prior to the pandemic. And coming into the pandemic, we had launched a business, Bento HR, which largely did the same things that I'd completed inside of organizations on the in-house side, you know, corporate restructurings, M&A work, technology transformation work. And we had had, you know, a fair amount of success pre-pandemic about what was happening. Of course, with the pandemic, things shifted. Organizations decided to do a lot more self-service and things became a little bit more acute in terms of the need that organizations had. And as a consequence of that, we decided to explore more into 
immersive technologies, which we thought could be the future of organizations. Mm -hmm. And you know, while the majority of Bento HR's work today is still traditional digital transformation in the sense that we're doing technology procurement and road mapping and we're doing implementations and we're doing process mapping, strategic alignment, like all those activities still endure. But for the future, I think we've all got a, a taste of how powerful technology can be if it's deployed appropriately. You know, traditionally in the HR realm, as you mentioned, Ira, you know, I remember 15 years ago, people telling me in HR that we should stay away from computers because it was IT's responsibility. In the same way, we should stay away from budgets because it was finances' responsibility. And obviously, that's we've evolved into a, a bit more of a business partner role. But as a consequence of that thinking, we still have many, you know, our professional associations, our post-secondary institutions do not address technology specifically in their curriculum in a lot of cases. So we have people in this profession who are at a deficit of knowledge around technology and, and innovation. And we wanted to help them better illuminate the opportunities for technology to make work better, more human, more engaged workforces. And we think virtual reality is a cool way about doing that. And it, it does support our broader hybrid work strategy where organizations are trying to think through how is work going to look differently in a space where half of the workforce is maybe in the office, half's not, it's more intermittent, more transient. How do you really create lasting and binding culture when you don't have co-location five days a week? So let, let's start, let's go back a little bit because I, I'm afraid a lot of our listeners may not even know. I mean, they, they might've heard the terms virtual reality, augmented reality. They may yeah. understand that, especially if they have kids, they may know remotely that they're sitting there on, you know, on the floor, on the couch gaming, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's basically what it is. You know, here, here I've got my, you know, let's, let's see, there we go. Nice. <laughs> you know, so when we talk about this in HR, I, I guess people are going to struggle. It's like, okay, so how do we, you know, do this? Yep. You know what happens? So let's talk about a little bit of, of how, what some of the applications are, now, certainly beyond gaming. Yeah, great question. And let's be, I want to be honest. I want to state my limitations. I think sometimes when I talk about technology and data, people have this perception that, well, Matt's a technology guru and he writes code in his spare time. Far from the truth. Like I'm an I'm a business executive who spent most of his time in HR. Where I understand technology is its application for human use cases, and I try and translate that for an audience of people. Virtual reality is the is a fantastic solution at the intersection of more intimate conversation when you don't have co-location. So think about it like this. Think about all the business activities in a employee's life cycle that would necessitate or benefit from a greater amount of intimacy. So think about the recruitment process. When you're interviewing with a new organization, it's nice to sit down with the person who's going to direct your work or some of your teammates. When you are onboarding and you don't know Adam from Eve, understanding who to go to for information, understanding where to reach out to for questions, that could be a bit more of an intimate approach. Obviously, there's a significant business case for virtual reality around learning and development. And I think ultimately, Ira, when we look back at this technology, that will be the predominant use case for it. Because what virtual reality provides that, for example, Zoom doesn't, Zoom is a two-dimensional communication uh -huh. medium. I can talk, you can talk, we both can't talk at the same time or it becomes really disruptive. And a third party certainly can't contribute because it's a two-dimensional mechanism. One person talks, everybody else listens. With virtual reality, you can have more synchronous communication happen in parallel. So what I mean by that is when you go to an event with four or five people in VR, it feels like going to an actual event. You can hear the murmur of a conversation and you can choose to engage in it or not, and have another conversation with somebody else side by side. You can explore a virtual space, a digital space, 
as you would walk around the showroom floor of a trade show. So you have that level of immersion where you're in the environment, you're completely immersed. There is no notifications from your phone. There is no someone tapping you on the shoulder. You're fully in an environment with other people who are also fully in that environment. And you're able to exchange information in a way that, again, lends itself to more intimacy. So another example, I would be performance management. When I'm sitting down with my employees and talking about performance, I want that to feel personal. I want them to feel like I'm invested in this conversation, not that I'm on Zoom with five other tabs open answering my emails as I go through the scripted you know, messaging. And so those are some examples where I think virtual reality can be deployed in a business context, where we're deploying it now at Bento HR is in three areas. The first one is all of our employees have virtual reality headsets, and we use them during the hiring process, and we have team meetings in virtual reality to create that sense of collaboration and cohesion. We do it in sales now, Ira, so pretty exciting. We've actually, in the last several weeks, been able to ship prospective clients virtual reality headsets, and I've sold products and services as an avatar to another avatar in virtual reality, where traditionally I'd have to hop on a plane, fly to a city, meet down with somebody, go for the dinner. That's several thousand dollars. I spent $50 in shipping fees plus the cost of a $300 headset, ship it to the, the prospect. They'll send it back when they're done so I don't lose that upfront cost of the hardware, but I've given them now a differentiated sales experience that they haven't seen anywhere else in the market. And the last place is we actually do, do workshops. So we do strategic alignment workshops, you know, skills training workshops, where we're delivering content in virtual reality for a group of clients, usually small groups right now. We have done larger events in virtual reality, which we'll do more for the future. So as you're talking there, again, there's so many offshoots here, so many rabbit holes we can, we can go down. So I, again, com companies are really struggling with labor shortages, and, and they're probably not going to do this from a lot of frontline workers. But think about that. I mean, when you're trying mm -hmm. to go after a younger population, if somewhere that you had, you know, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality experience, how that would differentiate you in the, in the workplace, in the functions. Uh, and I don't know if it was you. I've seen this. I actually participated in... I won't take an example of this, but at a demo mm -hmm. uh, at a prior conference once I'm doing live conferences again, as, as you probably are. But mm -hmm. I'm thinking about SHRM talent, SHRM annual. I mean, you know, part of the struggle will be, you know, in the future in two, three, four or five years from now, will, will we be participating in those through VR or AR? Or, or some type of an experience. But diversity and inclusion, it's certainly been a hot, hot topic. Doing training and, and certainly having people listen as a lecture or going through some group exercises. But the, the, the experience, how I felt sitting in a room with people, with, with, with people actively doing microaggression, you know, little slights and observances, and you see the uneasiness with, it, it was a completely different experience than anything else that I felt. Yeah. Well, it's the key word there, right? You felt it. So again, like you and I, you know, you and I can watch as many videos or have as many workshops as we want on diversity and inclusion training, but do we really embody, do we really ingest that information and, and truly manifest it in our own actions? Like the application of knowledge is very different than the awareness of information. And what virtual reality does very, very well is it creates a simulated experience where you feel like you're in that space. So to your point, you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. I've been part of demos with an organization that did, to your point, women at the executive table. So you put on a headset, you played the role as a female at the boardroom table, and you had an experience that was not that pleasant where you were being passed over, there's you know being talked over, your opinions are being dismissed, people are giving you weird looks. and if I'd seen a video of that, I probably could have said, oh, that must have sucked. And I could probably deploy a bit of like, you know, 
empathy in that way, but having experienced it now, I'm like, I only know how that feels as an individual. And I'm so much more motivated to ensure that when I set up meetings with my team, that we don't create a dynamic that excludes people implicitly. So there's an embodiment factor to virtual reality, which creates a lot of powerful messages around D and I, but also Ira, I mean, leadership. I mean, I'm sure you and I are similar in the sense that most of my leadership training came as a result of mistakes. Like I screwed up a lot and I had leaders that were super patient and kind and understanding and knew that what I was doing wasn't malicious, but ill-advised and could talk me back from some emotional intelligence faux pas early in my twenties. This with virtual reality, I can simulate experiences that I had early in my career, react to them in a live setting, screw up as much as I want without the fear of litigation, career limiting decisions, because a challenge that I experience now working with clients and organizations is that leaders are scared. Leaders are scared of saying the right thing, of doing the right thing. And what it leads to is them not really investing in their employees as much as they probably could have. Now, the pandemic created the environment that allowed for that. But there are still leaders that I talk to who are nervous about engaging with an employee outside of a very specific context because they're afraid of saying and doing the wrong thing and limiting their career potential or potentially losing their job, which is, I think, a significant challenge across many fronts. Virtual reality is a solution to that. We can put this individual in environments that may cause them discomfort or may cause them unease, run them through the example, play it back for them like you do in a sports team, break it down, coach them, counsel them in a safe place. And when people have the comfort and the confidence to be able to act, they tend to take those actions going forward versus I may have seen it, but I'm not really sure what to do with this information. I, above all, I love virtual reality because I think it solves for a significant problem with enterprise learning. We just lost Matt's sounds for some reason. Yeah, sorry. Most, okay. people, I Most people I know in the organizations I talk to, they don't learn through PowerPoint slides and lectures, but that's how we teach the majority of people or e-learning modules on a 2D screen. Virtual reality provides the opportunity to create more engaging learning opportunities and to do so in a way that's democratized and dispersed because you don't need to be in the same location. You're not flying people in. You're not flying in instructors. You can actually disseminate the information more efficiently. And they're really, I mean, we talk about young people. But I, I used this example a few times when I talked about VR. You got, I got my headset about two years ago, Had uh, was pr obviously prior to the pandemic. I, my mother is, will be 98 uh, in a few weeks, so she was about 95 or 96. My father-in-law just turned 95, so he about two years ago. So it's far outside of thinking about virtual reality. And, and I certainly was concerned with, are they going to put this on? Are they going to get dizzy? Are they going to get sick? And we put this on my mother, and I don't know where she where she was, but she was in the Grand Canyon or in Brazil okay. or climbing the Himalayas yeah. and couldn't get it away from her. I mean, she was fascinated by it, but my mother at least uses mm -hmm. email. I mean, she, she still uses a computer. So at least a little bit digital, I can't say digitally, digitally savvy, but at least, at least using digital. My father-in-law, or yeah, my father-in-law, I mean, you know, in fact, if he can go back to a rotary phone, he would do that. So zero, zero technology. He, I, we couldn't get the headset off. He was about mm -hmm. an hour and a half. He was just visiting countries around the world, different experiences, places he would have never been. And, you know, they're using this, they're using this to treat Alzheimer's and, and dementia. 
as far as an orientation. And then when you think about that, why can't we, why can't we use this for recruitment, for retention, for reskilling, for upskilling, every issue that we talk about today that we're struggling with, that companies are struggling with. So what's the object? I mean, what's, I guess, what's the pushback that, that companies get? Is it just that they're not, just awareness or are there some, you know, you're you're more advanced in this. At least this is what you what you do on an everyday basis. I talk about it. You're actually implementing it. What's holding companies back, or what's some of the pushback you get? I am aware of it because I went through the same change curve myself. Because 18 months ago, my experience in virtual reality was limited to a couple of games with my nieces and nephews in my brother's house. Like I don't, I'm not a virtual reality expert, but with intention and having had a couple of early experiences with an open mind, I went okay. Like. It's hard to explain Ira to people who haven't put on a headset. You have, so I, we can talk about it, but like just put on a headset and then this will all make more sense. And if you don't have one, borrow one or try one, like the experience you'll get will open your mind to a completely different way of operating in this, in this manner. And I think you're right. I think it solves for a significant amount of problems around therapeutic applications, educational applications, diversity and inclusion applications. And yet still, the technology has been around for 50 plus years, but it's been around in very specific niches. So the niches that's been around, to your point, gaming is the predominant niche. Mm -hmm. The military has been using this for years with simulated cockpits and flying drones. And then in a less savory topic, pornography drives a lot of innovation and technology as well. So those three industries have been pushing the, the, if you will, the innovation lifecycle of this technology. And what binds those three industries is a very specific demographic set. So it's mostly young men. And in that case, it's very popular with a young men's subset. But these are the people who are not making decisions inside of organizations. Those are being left up to different people inside of organizations who don't have maybe the awareness, don't have the experience, and don't know what they're missing. And they make the judgments of, well, my teenage child or my nephew or something plays games with this. How could I possibly use this for you know, a, a non-application that you know, is, right. is working? Lost you again there, Matt, for some reason. Whoops, we lost Matt. And I was just going to ask him, hopefully we can get Matt back in a second there. I lost his connection. But a fascinating conversation with Matt Burns from Bento HR. We were talking about HR. We were talking about uh, AR and VR in, in HR. One of the things that we, one of the things that, that Matt just mentioned and just came up, I don't know if you, you caught my smile there. Uh, there's Matt. <laughs> Sorry Matt. about that. A little bit of a Wi-Fi challenge. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, challenge. So what, what I was saying is I was smiling. I don't know if you saw that. I, I had a smile when I when I saw that you went to the third the third topic there, which was porn. I heard this the other day. I was in a conversation in a, in a tech, they call it a salon, and a conversation. And they were talking about uh, what, you know, what, what we thought about Bezos and Musk, you know, going up the moon and, you know, what, what, what application were were we going to see from that? It's not going to Mars, but what are we going to learn from that? And somebody talked about we're, we're at the same stage of that as we were with porn. If it wasn't for porn, we wouldn't have streaming. Yep. But what because what every what every industry learned from continually learns from porn, as they learned in marketing and media, <laughs> the largest use of the internet is porn. It was, you know, again, is is how they use VR, and then you take that application and it streams down into mainstream. It has nothing to do with the porn, but it's just that they they tend to be pretty advanced with with technologies for 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 so something bad, good coming out of bad, right? <laughs> well, and it's because like 
judgments aside around pornography, the reality is that technology is expensive to iterate. Like virtual, creating a virtual reality environment is a lot of really complicated, expensive technologies. It's why not a lot of companies have invested in it, in the hardware capacity and the software capacity, because you need early, early adopters to be able to push the envelope. But those early adopters, generally speaking, unless they have infinite piles of money, which most of us don't, they need some sort of market to be able to sell a product or service into and you can shift the application. So I'll give you an example, Ira. I do a lot of face-to-face -face workshops in VR where we're facilitating conversations with strategic leaders around basic alignment. What does hybrid work mean for you? And we solicit feedback and we work towards a common you know, definition and then we wrap things up. And VR is the medium, but it's not the reason that we're there. That same theory, that same application of me speaking to a group of people and having a two-way conversation, I can apply that and call it a podcast. I can apply that and call that a panel conversation. I can apply that and call that a town hall meeting. So in pornography, there's there's specific technology applications of VR can be extrapolated to display mm -hmm. con concerts and sports and movies and other things. So you asked about what are some of the use cases outside of enterprise. Concerts are going to be massive in virtual reality in the next two years. So I think most people are going to interact with VR for the first time watching their favorite artist do a show in virtual reality. I've been to three concerts because they're going to want to have a level of immersion of what it feels like to be at the concert without someone spilling their drink on you. And sporting and sporting events. It's, it's huge now. Huge. Uh, I, I have to check it. I assume that some of the Olympic events may be, be there. And you know, we're not going to Japan, but you know how, how, how can we participate in other ways? So you, well, that was part of it. The other thing you asked about was, was the barrier. So the perception is one. The second one is cost. It's still $300 for base level headset, which yeah. is when you look at it compared to a smartphone, it's actually, it's really inexpensive, but because of the perception, it, it's just like, well, that's an, it's a luxury item. I do see a future though, where organizations deploy virtual reality headsets and give somebody a laptop and a headset and a cell phone, cause that will give them the ability to communicate anywhere in the world in an immersive way. So cost is still a factor. That's the reason why the majority of organizations now using it are using it on the extremes. So they're seeing it either Amazon, Walmart, McDonald's, Yum! brands like KFC are deploying it for frontline staff to do operational and safety training because with the economies of scale, they've been able to shorten the path to productivity for new employees who need to learn skills. So rather than spending two weeks in training, now they're spending one week. And when you extrapolate that over tens of thousands of employees or hundreds of thousands of employees in a company like McDonald's or Walmart, for example, which has 2 million employees worldwide, the cost savings of a week worth of training more than pays for itself over the long run. Right. On the other extreme, you have organizations that are, to your point, more boutique. So we use it with companies that want to deploy headsets for their executive teams or want to deploy it for very specific leadership training. They're making a short-term investment with a smaller cohort. But what we're not seeing yet is in the middle, which is the bulky middle of most companies, that's still going to require some changes in order for us to adapt it going forward. But I, my my guess is it it'll it's going to evolve pretty rapidly over the next few years, and it'll be exciting to be able to see that. And it'll be interesting to see it. Not sure Sherm Talent really doesn't have a big expo, but at Sherm Annual, you know how much of that is being deployed now. Again, before there was like one or two exhibitors that that did that, and it'll be interesting down the road. Hey, you are almost out of time. I want to wrap up. I do want to, to mention, talked about earlier, I know you've been heavily involved with hacking HR, you know, but also with Grow. I mean, you, as far as that. So tell, tell us a little bit about your, your engagement with that. 
Yeah, Enrique Rubio is, a, first off, a fantastic guy. He's become a good friend over the last three years. He's built an incredible online community of people willing to challenge the status quo around organizational culture. Hacking HR really symbolizes that. Grow was our attempt at creating a mastermind program to give members of the community a bit more of a deeper dive. We built it and launched it before the pandemic, and it was invaluable in helping our 100-plus community members share knowledge, you know, reminisce with each other. In fact, just vent in a lot of cases, HR person to HR person. And it creates a, it's a peer-based learning community that really drives knowledge sharing, community building. And it's been, again, a really, I've benefited more than I thought from the program. I thought we'd build this program, we'd run it, it would be a fantastic. But I've personally benefited from speaking with our executive mentors and speaking with our participants. It's a fantastic program. And I would encourage anybody who is a business leader to consider what does your network look like outside of your organization to draw best practices from? Because as you mentioned, we started this conversation, Ira, the world's changed. We need more inputs, more information, but it's, it's here. Like the information that we need is available to us. We just have to be willing to be open, share the information, be collaborative. And I think we can go a long way as a result. And, and to participate in Hacking HR, you just go up to hackinghr.io and, and subscribe. Also, number of events throughout the year, almost mm-hmm. weekly and monthly. And I can't remember how many how many speakers are at the next conference, but it's a thousand, I think he's trying yeah, to get a thousand like people. Crazy. It's a crazy amount. So any final word? I, well, actually, I have one last question, Matt. Sure. I ask all my guests this. You're back uh, next July. July 2022. What are, what are we going to be talking about? That's a great question. I think we're going to be talking about how we're going to be doing a, we're going to be reminiscing about the pandemic, about what happened. We're going to be more aware around the mental health implications of, of the pandemic and discussing how it affected organizations. And we're going to be more specific and targeted about how we're going to try and make work better. I think right now people are trying to figure out how it all fits. The pieces are going to be talking about how we get people back to work in a safe way. What does that mean for vaccines? It's very tactical in North America right now. I think we're going to be having conversations about how do we truly build workforces for the future? And I'm excited for that conversation. So I look forward to maybe doing it with the IRA this time next year. Yeah. And based on that, I think we can be talking about that in July of 23, 24, 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the yeah. conversation is going to go you. on for, for a right. while. We, the plane's taken off, but we haven't figured out how to keep it in the air or land it yet. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, Really appreciate you being here. You can see across the bottom. You can reach out through um, bentohr.com. Any other ways to to reach? What's the best way to reach you, I guess? I'm obsessed with LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn, Matt in VR on LinkedIn. I'm there all the time. Okay. Matt, please stay safe. Thanks for being here. Now you got a busy schedule. We'll be talking, sure, again in the very near future. Take care. Okay. I can be talking to Matt for forever. So great conversation. Again, keep your eyes on VR and AR in HR, whether it's for recruitment, retention, engagement, diversity and inclusion, uh, you name it, upskilling, reskilling, it will be there. Uh, We're going to take a short break and hear from our two sponsors in GoMu and Success Performance Solution. And then we're going to be right back. Our second guest today will be Dick Finnegan from C-Suite Analytics. That's a whole other topic. We're going to be talking about our upcoming interview on Tune In Tuesdays. So stay tuned. I will be right back. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. 
Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. Imagine growing great employees and advancing emerging leaders for less than a dollar a day. The Ngomu app will support your employees in a myriad of ways, from career and personal development to health and wellness. No need to schedule and hold trainings. You just have them access over 90 coaches for live virtual group and one-on-one coaching for whatever topic they need or want to work on. Anytime, anywhere. Learn more at ngomu.com today. Hey, welcome back, everyone, and uh, all our community members from Googleization Nation. Uh, welcome back to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We had a great first interview with Matt Burns from Bento HR. We were talking about VR and a- VR and AR, virtual reality and augmented reality, how it's impacting all our work, all the work in, in HR for opportunities from recruitment, from engagement, from retention, which is what we're going to be talking about with Dick Finnegan from C-Suite Analytics. I think I got that right. And um, again, just a few announcements on next Tuesday, July 13th at 2 p.m., if you're a member of SHRM, you'll be able to hear Dick and I will be interviewed on uh, the, the SHRM TV show. Tune in Tuesday. So we're going to be talking about recruitment and turnover. This is going to, we're going to get Dick on right now and, and have a preview. And also coming seminars I've got going on, you're going to be able to, uh, if you go up to successperformancesolutions.com, successperformancesolutions.com, there it is. There is a link to some upcoming uh, webinars that we're going to be having, and we'll get into that in uh, future weeks. But right now, I want to bring on Dick. There he is. Hey, Dick. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Ira. How yeah. are you? I appreciate you being here. I know you got a busy schedule. Just got off another call, I believe. So you and I just met last week. We, we sort of got the yin and the yang of uh, HR here. Your focus has been on retention. Mine has been on recruitment. And up until now, it's sort of been a revolving door. You know, we, we get people into it and then people are, you know, quit with the quit, quit rate at an all-time high. I've been doing this for a while, uh, focused on this. So your time has come as well, talking about the stay interview. So give a brief introduction of your company, uh, which is, I believe that was C-Suite Analytics. Then you can, you can say it. I've heard you say it. You can say it. I know you can. <laughs> so, and then I believe, there we go. And then I, let's talk a little bit about our upcoming show next week on uh, Tune In Tuesdays. So I was on a call, I'm on what's calls, and somebody, CEO of a company said to me recently, these two words that I think say it all, doom loop, that companies <laughs> are having so much trouble hiring that they are bringing people in, bringing people in, and those people leave, and those people leave, and they're bringing more people in, than those people leave. So it's that doom loop where, where there's no energy for retention because all the energy is being sucked into mm-hmm. recruiting. But if there was energy for retention, Ira, I would tell you companies don't know what to do. That if you think about HR, 
that there's solid processes for comp, for selection, for benefits, for training. There is no process for retention. It's like pay them, pay them, do an exit interview when they leave. They're going to lie, but do an exit interview anyhow, and then go figure out what more to do. Oh, they weren't recognized. Okay, employee the month, employee of the year, employee appreciation week. They don't want to be communicated. We'll have town hall meetings, see your videos. They want career coaching, you know, of career day, ready department gets stable to cafeteria, bring in a speaker of the community college. We keep doing all this stuff. It has nothing to do with why they leave. Because the reason they leave is because the number one reason is how much they trust their boss. And so much, there's actually a number from Deloitte saying U.S. companies spend 1.53 billion with a B a year on engagement. But if you ask Gallup, and I know you and I have talked about Gallup, engagement is flat for 20 years. It doesn't change. How can you waste a billion and a half dollars? It's because you're giving people things that don't matter much to them. They matter a little. Events with food, food is good, but it's not going to make somebody stay. And so they keep giving them things that don't matter because there isn't a process for retention until now. I'm thinking of the analogy to that. It's, it's like going out to, to your favorite restaurant and you have a marvelous meal, but you hate the company that you're you're with, right? Right, <laughs> right. right. You, you know, basically great food, great games, great, great environment, beautiful building, right. uh, but you hate your boss. <laughs> right, hate your boss, hate your boss, right, right, hate your boss. And, and so these companies that are in the doom loop are losing a lot of people in the first 30 days, first 60 days, for all kinds of reasons, because people, you know, usually the main reason people leave early is because they don't understand something about the job. They get in the job and they say, you got to be kidding. I didn't know whatever it would be wet. I didn't know it would be these hours. I didn't usually, but now it's people are leaving because there's so many other places to go. And so if you can't get glue to them early, you won't keep them. And the glue has to be the boss that, uh, I think you and I might have talked about this concept of what do employees talk about over dinner. That's what really matters is what do they talk about over dinner. And when somebody says, how was your day, dear? Nobody says, yeah, my day was okay. I just wish we had pet insurance. Nobody cares. They just don't care. We had a better selection at, at the buffet, right? Right. <laughs> or in the cafeteria. Right. Right. They talk about their boss, their colleagues, and their duties. That's what they care about. And if you can't get to those things early, you're not going to win, which is why, which brings us to this whole idea of stay interviews. And I know that you know, Ira, that in our process, because we consistently cut turnover 30% and more, it's a lot of money. And our process is to put a cost on turnover so executives wake up and they stop thinking it's like rush hour traffic. You have to work around it. It costs real money. We get finance. We involve finance to get the cost. Then with the data set retention goals, one for all turnover, one for new hire turnover. But the goals are owned by operations, by the leaders. They have to have goals. There's a report, their names on it. You got to cut turnover. Here's your goals. Then teach them to do stay interviews. Then teach them to forecast how long each employee will stay. Then we have two new databases. We have leaders performance against retention goals. We have leaders' performance against retention forecasts, which is exactly the two metrics companies use for salespeople. Do they make their goals? Do they have accurate forecasts? 
So the process operationalizes retention, but it gives a solution instead of give them a little more money and do X interviews when they're gone. So I'm thinking here to avoid creating another loop. So you're focused on the stay interviews. I believe your book at Sherm, is it the number one bestseller? It has been for eight years, right? And congratulations. That's, 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 that's a huge accomplishment to, to keep anything for eight years. Blows <laughs> my These days. So the companies get it. They start doing stay interviews, right? But if you have bad bosses, I mean, the stay interviews reveal that the reason that they're leaving is a bad boss. So what's, what's the cycle? What's, what's beyond that? I mean, what have you seen companies that, are, that have been successful? When you say you can cross the board, you get 30%. So you do the stay interview. What's next? Yeah. So here, I'll give you a profile of a company, a manufacturing company with nine locations. They were losing half their new hires in 60 days. They didn't know it. They just thought they had a turnover problem. They hadn't done that analysis till we did the analysis. But half of their new hires didn't get to 60 days. So we put into place a realistic job preview so leaders, so employees would understand what they're getting themselves into. We doubled their employee referral program because employer referrals stay longer. We then put in a goal that 80% of new hires had to get to 60 days, so from 50% to 80%. We put in the goal, we held the leaders accountable for the goal, also the recruiter in each of those nine locations had the goal and the new hire trainer in each of those nine locations had the goal. Now, from there, the team lead, who is the first line supervisor, did a stay interview on the fifth day and the 30th day, because that person was accountable for getting people to 60 days. Meanwhile, once a week in all nine locations, on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. when the shifts change, there's a 30-minute meeting attended by everybody who owns the goal recruiters, trainers, team leads, supervisors. They go into a room, they're handed a piece of paper, IRA, that has the name of everybody in their first 60 days. And they go around the table, who's got this one, who's got that one? You gotta get them to the finish line. What are the obstacles getting this one to the finish line? This one's still in training, how are they doing? We gotta get them out, get them to 60 days. And then a second list, which is everybody who should be on the first list, but they're gone. They say, how did we screw it up? What happened? Recruiter, you brought them in. What lessons did you learn? Because they didn't get through training. Trainer, you grad. What lessons did you learn? How did we screw it up? So it's like doctors at the end of the day in a hospital doing rounds. How did we keep them? How did we lose them? And so this, I always say, whatever the period for the new hire goal is, we're going to put a spotlight on those people. We're not going to lose them. We're going to get them to the goal. And it's that total focus with stay interviews, with forecasts and accountability that drives this company to get 80% to stay 60 days versus 50. Now, it goes back, in, this is about 21 years ago, I was working with the call center, they had 30 seats and they had 498 W-2s at the end of the year. <laughs> and they, they, yeah, they used to, they did 40 trainings a week. They were at every job fair. They were literally going down. It was, a, we're, we're in Lancaster County. They were literally go down to the prison in the morning and pick up people on a, a work release program. And my, my comment was, is they wanted to know, how do you keep people? And I said, you know, if we can't, they were frustrated with our progress because they were still had turnover. 
And I said, you know, the people that you used to have that didn't show up, they worked for a week and then they didn't show up the following Monday. I said, your retention now is, it was like 18 days. I said, do you realize we cut your turnover by two and a half times? Because they went from five days to 18 days. And it's like, oh yeah, but we want them to be 90 days. I go, got it. I'd like them to be a year. But just by slowing down the flywheel, slow, you know, plugging up the back hole. And I, I still remember the, well, he wasn't an HR manager. He was a shift manager. Stood up and he said, he's absolutely right. You know, we're down to 25 job fair or 25 trainings. Because the fact is that we had to have a training every week because we lost the same people we hired the week before. All of a sudden, the, the, the triple down, the, the trickle down effect was that we only had 25, we only had to have 25 trainings. So we saved all that money. I was able to work and we were able to train people better. When they finished, they had 10 trainings a year and they had, they still had turnover, but they had 152 people for 30 positions, not 498. And again, if they would have continued on it, they would have, you know, been able to improve it. But they, I, basically other, other things happen. We won't go into detail with that, but that's the type of effect. So in 21, I mean, 21 years later, we're still talking about the same thing. Have you ever seen it this bad? Have you ever seen turnover? The quit rates as high as, I'm just saying it's historic high, but you're working right. with the clients. Right. His, historic high. And the really bad news is that there's no reason to think it will get much better. <laughs> it might temporarily get better because things are going to level off in the fall when schools are open again and we get back to normal life. It might level off a little, but there's a projection that unemployment will reach 3.2% by the first quarter of 2022. That's only a couple months, a few months, more than a couple, but a yeah, few months yeah. away. And just to put that into perspective, the lowest unemployment count this century was the February of 2020, right before the pandemic, hit 3.5. So we haven't seen 3.2. And every time you turn on the news and they talk about, here's a new bill that's going to create more jobs, it's going to make it worse. So, and then so that gets 3.2 includes high, high school grads or less. A lot of uns- underskilled, lower skilled people. And, you know, when you look at, again, when you're looking at an average, even today, the unemployment rate for college grads and skilled labor is well under 4%. And it's elevated. It's only at that 6% because you have 7 and 8% unemployment, young black men, Hispanic men, and a lot of lower unskilled or low skilled, you know, workers. So we have a lot of work to do. So you're right. I highly encourage everybody to tune in next week at Tune In Tuesdays for see, July 13th, 2 p.m. Go up to the Sherm site. The link I think uh, Roxy has, we can put that on past there. Uh, and if you're a member of Sherm, you'll be able to get access. If you're not, you'll have to join Sherm. We're going to have Dick back in, was it August? Dick, is that when we? July or August. Yeah. Yeah. yeah remember, he's going to come back for a full, for our, for our longer segment guest. And we're going to be talking more about this because, again, companies are going to struggle with it. And there's so much more. We're going to learn about more about conducting the stay interviews and uh, get more um, tips and advice from Dick. So, Dick, we'll see you next Tuesday. And appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on the air uh, today and look forward to continuing the conversation. Cool, Ira. Thank you for having me. 
Okay. It was fun. See ya. Bye. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. Thank you, Dick Finnegan from C-Suite Analytics talking about, I highly suggest go up, uh, you can uh, look up Dick, connect with him on LinkedIn. You can go up to his website, which is dickfinnegan.com or C-Suites, c-suitesanalytics.com and pick up his book, uh, Stay Interviews. And he will be back. I don't remember the exact date, but he will be back either later July or in August. And we'll be continuing that conversation, especially on employee retention and how to lower the, the your turnover, how to lower those quits. I want to also thank uh, Matt Burns for being our guest earlier and talking about AR and VR, virtual reality in HR, some of the advancements there, and also learning a little bit more about the uh, hacking HR community. Please uh, take the time and uh, visit the Success Performance Solutions website. There are a few new webinars. Sign up for googleizationnation.com if you're not already a subscriber. There'll be a newsletter going out shortly, and it will include updates to uh, the two or three. The third one is in the works. There'll be three new webinars that will be available later July and in August. And hopefully that uh, we'll be able to see you there. And also uh, you'll get updates about podcasts and other events that are going on, googleizationnation.com. Final thanks to Ingomu and Success Performance Solutions for being a sponsor. And until next week, thanks for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Don't let the shift hit your plans.